Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. My name is John Manuel. I'm joined today by J.J. Cooper. We're actually not going to talk about college baseball today. A little uh, pro baseball podcast for you here at BaseballAmerica.com. But we do want to remind you we're coming to you from the DeMarini Demo House podcast nook. Because when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy. Because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball. Or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. Get the season started right and visit your nearest demo house today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. And we want to thank DeMarini for their continued sponsorship of Baseball America's podcast. And we're recording in the podcast nook with our original podcast equipment, which was uh, researched for us by J.J. Cooper, but also by our IT guy, Greg the Machine Levine. And today is Greg's last day. And it was a great lunch, uh, paid for by someone else. Uh, good lunch with Greg, reminiscing a little bit, watching Jason Hayward go mano a mano with Justin Furlander on the, nice on the flat screen behind us. Uh, a win-win lunch with one big loss, and that is Greg. And uh, we're sorry to see Greg go. He's been responsible for a lot of the IT advances at Baseball America over the years. If we didn't give him so much to do, he would have redesigned the website a few times by now. <laughs> but uh, we'll miss Greg, and uh, you know, he's not somebody who we talk about or ever comes on a podcast or any of those kind of things, but he's someone who's made significant contributions to Baseball America over the last five years, and uh, we will miss him greatly. And, uh, we wish him luck in everything going forward. And, absolutely. And uh, luck for his Orioles. You know, if uh, you, an Orioles, uh, a good Orioles season would do a lot for, you know. That's right. Now, I would have chosen the Markakis poster as my going away president if I were an Orioles fan and being Greek, but uh, he took Matt Wieters, might be slightly end up better than Ning Markakis. We'll see about that. And uh, my gag gift for him would have been a Brendan Haywood poster because his least favorite former uh, Wizards player. But uh, we are here to talk a little bit about baseball and uh, not basketball. And uh, J.J. and I, J.J. posted on our Facebook page earlier today um, that we're doing a podcast, and uh, many of you have responded with questions. It's going to be a mailbag podcast, although we could start off real briefly with Jason Hayward. Just obviously the news coming out today at the Braves today. We're recording this on Friday, the 26th, the day after Greek Independence Day, uh, Zito Alada. But... uh, Jason Hayward officially on the Braves opening day roster, J.J., and it really would have taken wild horses to drag him away from Bobby Cox, is the way it seems. Maybe if John Sherholtz had been there and had the stature of 20 years as general manager, he might have been able to uh, do this. But I, I don't see how Frank Rank could have possibly explained this to Bobby and Bobby Cox's last year that, no, you don't get the best hitter on your team to go north to Atlanta with you. Especially because there is no... There is no argument that really seemed to be able to be made coming out of spring training except for the financial side of it. Right. Because that was the only the argument. The problem is, is that you can't say, hey, but he needs to work on this aspect of his game that a couple of weeks in Gwinnett, you know, at AAA would help. He's probably the most selective hitter, you know, on the team. He he sneezes at, you know, 0-2 sliders that are an inch off the plate. It's amazing. His discipline this spring has been amazing. He, he has a plan at the plate every at-bat. He puts in quality at-bat after quality at-bat after quality at-bat. That doesn't mean he's not going to struggle at some point this year. Right. But you watch him, and it is it's one of those things that you say, man, but he just has – he, he does not look like a 20-year-old. And his strikeout in his first at-bat today against uh, Justin Verlander was, was one of the most impressive strikeouts I've ever seen because Justin Verlander reached back for something extra, had to go 98 miles an hour on a 3-2 spring training fastball, like the seventh or eighth pitch of the at-bat. And, uh, you know, Hayward was late on it, but Hayward had already fouled off 97 earlier in the at-bat. And it was an 0-2. 
Yeah, and he, and he worked, worked at the he 3-2. Basically, he worked at the 3-2. Every good pitch he fouled off, every bad pitch he took, you know, and he worked at the 3-2, fouled off another pitch at 3-2, if I remember right. I think and, you're right. And then, okay, you know, so, I mean, it, it might have been like a 10-pitch at-bat. It was a lengthy at-bat, and it was just it was a very uh, stark example of just what you're talking about. He did not give away that at-bat. He didn't just go up there flailing uh, when he was down two strikes in the count. He had a plan. He executed his plan. He just got beat by a better pitch, right. and that better pitch was 98 with life. And he is. He's a professional hitter right now. And that's the thing that you very rarely can say about a guy coming out of the minors. You can say that they're a very, you know, that they have great power, great bat speed, but there are very few guys when they make the jump to the big leagues who already have that. Hey, I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to give you bad at bats. Right. And Most can, guys do. You really look at the Braves with him in the lineup. That's a high upside ball club if they stay healthy. They should be. I, I would question their infield defense a little bit. Chipper Jones is 38. Uh, you know, Escobar is a pretty good shortstop. I don't Troy think he's Glass great. Learning a, you know, Troy Glass has played eight games ever at first base. So up the middle, I think they're pretty solid with Escobar and Martin Prado. And their outfield, you have Hayward, Hayward uh, and Nate McLouth. Gold Glover, Nate McLouth, who the advanced defensive metrics doesn't don't like. And then Melky Cabrera slash Matt Diaz, you know, which is a good. Those are both good, right? And especially know, extra guys. Matt Melky Diaz had a great Melky year Melky last Cabrera year. Cabrera being, in essence, in some ways, a fourth outfielder yeah. is. He's going to be one of you know. He's a championship caliber fourth outfielder. Obviously, he was a center fielder on a championship team last year. Although most of his tenure in the Yankees, they didn't. They weren't as good as they've been, um, and to me, he was a below-average hitter. But, but still, he's a he's a perfect fourth outfielder. He, he'll be a really he's a nice guy to have also as insurance for if Jason Hayward has any injury issues as he's had in the minor leagues. If he misses any time, and Melky Cabrera, good defender, or, can play center. Yeah, I don't think at this point Matt Dyes has shown that he can hit. But if Matt Dyes turns back into a pumpkin or something, you right. still also have Matt. You know, that's true Melky too. Cabrera there. And then you know, to me, the the big question for the Braves is again the injuries also matter. On the mound for them, you have Tim Hudson coming off Tommy John surgery, although he's looked good this spring, and Billy Wagner is their closer. How long does he hold up? So we'll see. But the upside of that team, I think, is as good as the Phillies' upside is. I mean, the Braves have significant upside, but whether they get to that or not, uh, I think depends mostly on health. So let's go to the mailbag. I'm going to start it off. I'll, I'll, I'll pick you out pick a first, first question because I think this question is a good one to throw out to John because uh, Josh Burnett Ask Madison Bumgarner's velocity has still been down in the high 80s in spring training, so it appears that despite Giants fans' hope, the decline wasn't just a fatigue issue. Does this affect your opinion of him as a prospect, and what are the chances that he's just another Jesse Foppert? Josh, I think you worded it exactly right um, as far as that question goes. I, it does seem like there might be a chance that he's another Jesse Foppert. Now, the things I've read about Bumgarner this spring, the best explanation I've read, and I haven't called a scout about him this, this spring uh, like I did last year, and, uh, you know, we've always – his delivery has always been an asset for him. It seems like his delivery is what's working against him right now as far as his velocity. And not so much the crossfire, it's the fact that he doesn't incorporate his lower half and his delivery is enough. So all the burden of all his velocity is coming from his arm and his shoulder. And maybe he's lost a tick of arm speed, which is what I had in the scouting report last year from high school. And I think – it looks like that might be happening again this spring uh, from the little bit that I've seen. I did see a little spring training video of him. But it's not like there's that cr- kind of crossfire delivery, throwing a little bit across his body that he does, and the, the deception that gives him, and also putting a lot of strain on his shoulders. So I don't think he's hurt. I think he does have maybe a little bit of shoulder fatigue, whether it's shoulder fatigue or whether it's a, uh, just not as much strength in his shoulder as he used to have. 
I think, first of all, you had the, the, the classic giant spin, just like they did with Jesse Foppert, saying, oh, he never threw that hard. That's he bunk. He did throw that hard. And Jesse Foppert did, too. And Jesse Foppert absolutely did, too. But I think that there is a concern, so I do think that I do think it can be fixed, but I think and, and where he keeps the same arm slot, but he has to learn to incorporate his lower half in his delivery, and, and that's, that's not easily that's done. That's not easy done with the muscle memory after that long. Well, I think it's a lot easier to do with your legs. Yeah. I mean, we just actually were watching that, that – uh, Braves Tigers game. Derek Lowe is 36, and he just changed his delivery. Right. It can he, be done. I mean, and he changed his delivery pretty radically. He's dropping his back knee and tilting his shoulders a little bit to get more over the top and drive downhill, as opposed to just relying on natural sink. So, it, it can be done. And I th- I'd much rather have to incorporate your lower half more in your delivery than revamp your right. arm action and all that. It, when you but hear say, "Hey, he's going from three quarters to," right. you know, and that's the kind but of. But it's a significant that. concern, and it did. It does. I mean, we we did our position by position rankings in the last issue of Baseball America, and we dropped Madison Bumgarner a couple spots, even from where we had him in our top 100. Uh, all that said, the biggest issue for me with Madison Bumgarner having to change something is he's never failed. I mean, his spring training stats weren't that good, but neither are Tim Lincecum's. Right. It's his stuff that you're more concerned with, but he had that kind of stuff in, in AA last year as a 20-year-old, 19-slash-20-year-old, and didn't just succeed, he was outstanding. And so brought it to the big leagues. with. And, and, and that's right. So I, I still am very bullish on Madison Bumgarner, because I do think that the changes and the adjustments that he can make are ones that can be made. Whether the Giants will make them or not is another question because they might say these results are still the results that we're looking for and he's still getting guys out, so why change? I mean, the guy over the last two years has performed better than any pitcher in the minor leagues. It's, it's period. Not, yeah, it's, it's not close. There's not, a, there's not a guy, a second guy to go, no, 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 put so-and-so in that right. comparison. No, there's no You one. can't. And he's 20 years old. He'll be 21 in, like, August. So he's athletic. He's left-handed. I do think it's all there, but there's significant reason to have concern. I, I'm not as concerned about the arm action as I am about the lack of use of the lower half. So uh, that, that's a good question, and I do think people have to be concerned. But keep in mind that he's 20 years old and uh, hasn't uh, ever pitched in AAA, I don't believe. He went from AA to the big league. So right. I think there's a lot of uh, – but, but it's, it is – I think it's a significant issue, and I think uh, he loses a little shine as a prospect. There's no doubt about it from what happened this spring. All right, JJ, now I get to task you. Uh, with one of these questions, and uh, honestly, I haven't looked at, at them enough to, well, uh, the, yeah, there's an easy one. Thomas Shells, so these are all people who are fans on our Facebook page, yeah, and so if you want to contribute in the future, we have about 4,500 fans on our Facebook page right now. Actually, I guess it was 4486, as if I actually printed out a page from Facebook, which is a number one sign that you're old, is that I printed a page from <laughs> Facebook. Um, but Thomas Shields, I think it is actually, uh, asks, first, thanks us very much for this, and also wondering two things, maybe you could address either one. Danny Duffy, the Royals prospect, walking away from baseball, and any updates as the why, and also John Lamb and his potential as a pitcher. Thanks very much. And, J.J., you uh, blanket the Royals for us, and you were all over the Danny Duffy stuff for us just this week. Um, so talk to J.J. Piccolo. The, he's the farm director, scouting director, assistant GM for Scouting and I always love uh, it when you call him. It's like, hey, JJ, this is JJ. Hey, JJ, JJ. Hey, good to talk to you, JJ. Thanks for calling me, JJ. Um, you know, but uh, I, I got to, you know, I got to like that there's actually another JJ out there. There are not that many JJs. He might be general. the most powerful JJ in baseball uh, I think besides that's you. It. Yeah, I think you're yeah, number JJ two. JJ Davis never uh, reached his. Uh, his and you form. control independent baseball, so. No, I do not. But uh, <laughs> you're you're the most influential person in independent but, baseball this side of Miles Wolf. I'll say that. But um, but so. 
talking to him, one of the things that he really stressed was is that he, he made a good point. He said when they put out a release, they originally were going to put out that for personal reasons. He was leaving for personal reasons. And then they changed that to, you know, I think how they were something along the lines of life priorities. And they did that because they wanted to stress. They didn't want people to see this and think, oh, there's something wrong with Danny Duffy, right. and so he's leaving. No, like there's some mental Right, there's not mental, or, there's or, nothing... Or like Zach Grinke dealt with, where he dealt with significant right. mental health he, issues. This is not a social anxiety disorder. This is not, you hear a lot of times the players are getting away from the game, and then you find out later, oh, he went to rehab or something right. like that. This isn't any of that. The best way that I had it explained to me, and also Bob Dutton talked to uh, one of his good friends, a trainer, mm-hmm. who's a uh, who works in Wilmington, it really seems like what we're talking about here is a guy who started thinking about in the offseason, you know, is this what I want to do? And I know that a lot of people hearing this are probably going to go, really? Someone has right. a chance to play pro baseball, not only play it, but has excelled at every level he's gone and really was, in a best-case scenario, four months, five months away from getting his first taste of the big leagues. I he's mean, been exposed to some pretty good things in professional baseball. I mean, he's been promoted. He's a futures he been, gamer. He was a futures gamer. He got a pretty good signing bonus. He's a third-round pick. He's never had an ERA above three in his entire pro career. Right. He's been successful everywhere he's gone. And I know a lot of people are going to hear that and go, how can you let that, you know, turn away from that? And the thing about it is, is that, you know, obviously I've never been, you know, a guy who's played minor league baseball and gone through that grind. Right. But I have covered it. You know, I covered a team kind of going through that grind for about a five-year span, the the Macon Braves mm-hmm. and low-A team. And the thing that just jumps out is is that if you don't have a certain personality, the on-the-field part of it can actually be the easiest part of it. Right. You know, when you say, hey, I decided I wanted to do something different, which at least for now that's what Denny Duffy's doing, it may not even be I don't like baseball because the on the, like field, baseball. the on the field part of it is a little part of it, but if as a, as a baseball player, the I mean it's it is your life for you know a, the six months of the year, and that life involves especially at the minor league level, you're never I mean you are always you're as a team basically you are a family right whether you like it or not whether you like it or not you're not, you're always going to be sharing a room with someone else and in many cases i mean by the end of the road trip you know by the end, last day of a you know homestand or a road wherever your last day at a site is mm-hmm. you're 10 guys in a room that's right because at 9am they take away you know all the rooms except for say two or three right. and okay well you know report to the ballpark at 3 until then it's you know you're, you're killing time with nine of your closest friends that you sort of have to be right. Friends not your best with. closest friends, or you know, nine guys that you you know just are kind of stuck with. Right. And the the description that Bob Dutton got from the trainer was is that you know he's kind of an introverted guy, and if you don't kind of enjoy that, you know, every moment, what's the next prank going to be? Right. You know, what you know, kind of that. If you don't enjoy that environment... The things that other people do to break up the monotony right. of that grind and to take their minds off what a grind it is. And how you're basically spending half of your day every day, the best way to put it is wasting time. Yeah. If you're on the road, you are just wasting time. You're killing time until you get to the ballpark. Right, because you don't have a car. You know, you can basically walk to whatever you want in your walking radius. But right. besides that, all you're doing is going, okay, we need to be the ballpark at what time? 
really the the best case scenario for that is uh, in today's game is boy I hope that your minor league player loves video games. I actually like almost worry about Virginia Tech's Jesse Hahn. He told me the other day when I did a feature on him that he hates video games. That's one of the reasons why as a kid he always went outside and played catch with his dad, which helped bring it, build up his arm strength as a kid. But in pro ball, he better get used to either video games or watching movies or Going something. You've you got to be good at – got to figure out a way to sit around and not go crazy. Right. And, and the thing about it is, is that for some guys – We sports writers are good at that. Yeah, we're, we're not. <laughs> but for some guys, that, that's tough. And, and the thing about it is, is that Danny Duffy's not an exception on this. There are a lot of right. other guys who hit that point. The difference is, is most of the guys, you never hear about it because most of the guys hit that point at some point where they're you know, a utility infielder in high A and right. go, you know, this, this isn't, isn't worth, worth me. You know, you know, so those guys... Or, never, or they weren't third-round picks. Right. They were never big... There wasn't a lot expected of them anyway. Right. And a lot of, you know, so a lot of times... You know, they may hit that decision, but the decision is made for them before they ever do because they're told, hey, you know, you're being released. Yeah, it was definitely a shock to hear that about Danny Duffy. But he, he had an elbow injury this spring, and uh, I mean, it didn't seem like it was too serious, but it's his first real physical setback. And you just almost wonder if he had a little inactivity, and that reminded him of all the things he doesn't like about baseball. Well, like the one thing is apparently he had he was already thinking about this before he ever got hurt, so it wasn't something like that, that came up after okay. the injury, but... But I do think, and I'll say this, I think, you know, I, I do the Reds also. Philippe Valaquette, who's still a prospect in their organization, he went home. Right. You know, now it was a little different situation. He was an 18-year-old right. who had never had success because he'd kind of been pitched at levels above his ability. Right. Um, you know, and he kind of didn't really fit in, didn't feel like he fit, it, fit in, and so he went home for like a funeral or something and decided, hey, I'm not going back. Now, then he got six months away from the game thought about it a little bit more and said, hey, I'm ready to come back. A well, former, former Twins prospect, uh, David Winfrey, had the same right. commitment to the game issue, basically, where he, so, uh, he walked away from the Twins. So I don't and think Jose Mahara's had it many times with the Twins. Slightly <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> different. But, so I don't think this necessarily means that we've seen the last pitch that Danny Duffy will ever throw. I think there's a pretty good chance that at some point he may decide to give it another try. But... That hopefully gives some explanation of at least of the best that we understand. Now right. we've you know we've called Danny you know his voicemail's full, right. texted Danny you know if he wants to talk about it we're you know happily would give his side of you know what happened. But but that's the best that we understand it. Um, on the second part of the question, yeah, John, John Lamb. John Lamb is the good news. So we had the bad news first for Royals fans, but now here's the good news. Again, when I was talking to to, to JJ Piccolo, I asked him, okay, so who's really stood out for y'all in spring training? And the first name that comes up is John Lamb. He said John Lamb has just been lights out here, which isn't that much of a surprise because they have a lot of pitching prospects. As far as if you said pick out one guy who just knows how to pitch, which a lot of times almost is faint praise. Right, right, right. But John Lamb knows how to pitch, even though, I mean, we're talking about a guy who – who's yet to really, I mean, this will be his first full season. Right. But he knows how to pitch, and he's got good enough stuff to go with it. Now he's a year and a half removed, yeah. almost two years removed from the injury that hampered him as a high school senior. Right. So I, I think he could be a, a breakout guy this year. I think that, you know, we, I think he thought that going into the year. Yeah. And, but now he's definitely, he, he started, he's had a good showing early on in spring training, so 
Thomas, that's about as thorough an answer as you're going to get on, on any podcast about the Royal situation in spring training. So thanks for the question. Okay, and I'll, I'll kick it back to you with uh, Michael Richards. Could you talk about Peter Borjos and where you see him playing for the Angels and where you see him landing this year? Isn't Michael Richards, we're glad that he's uh, you know back out in public, isn't yeah, that Kramer? Yeah, yeah so I think thank, that is Kramer. Yeah, thank, thank you very much, Michael. <laughs> but uh, Peter Borjos... Uh, you know, he's coming off, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a hand-slash-wrist-slash-thumb injury there late in the year last year. So I'm always interested to see how those guys come back uh, from those kind of I injuries. I think uh, with that you always have to see a little patience because right. guys come back much earlier than you actually see You know, the, hand, the, the strength come back. Yeah, but he's actually a guy that I talked to a scout about this spring, uh, not who had seen him yet, it was just when spring training was starting. We were talking about guys that we were interested in right when our top 100 came out. And this scout, we were going over our top 100, and this, uh, you know, I was wondering, I just wondered out loud, do we err including Peter Borges on the top 100? He was like, no, I think all the reports we have, and I've actually talked to two guys since then, who have the same thought. They have their organization have really strong reports on Peter Borges. There's raw power in there, and he just has to. I think really being more selective is going to be the whole key for Peter Borges. How much more selective is he have? Is he going to be? I, don't, I think there's a limit to how much more selective the guy can get. But I don't think he's going to be one of these guys who uh, I forget whose stats it was that I looked up the other day who had one walk and 33 strikeouts. Um, I don't think that's going to be Peter Borges. He's not that extreme. I do think the fact that he doesn't have patience and he's never going to be a high walks guy limits his ceiling pretty significantly because his speed is his defining characteristic, and it's not 1968 it, anymore. So he's probably not going to be a leadoff guy. It, it is funny, like if <laughs> it is something where if you're a power guy and you lack some of that selectivity. It's it's much less of a problem. I think so. Because if you're a speed guy, it almost becomes the difference between you batting one two or batting seven eight. That's exactly what I was. Whereas going if to. you're a power guy, it's the difference between you batting three four and five six, right. which isn't nearly as not as big of a deal. I don't think. Uh, I think it, I think that's a big question for Peter Borges. Now he's in the right organization for that. The Angels are not going to hold him back. They love his aggressiveness. And the other thing that Peter Borges has going for him is defense. So I'm I'm pretty bullish on Peter Borges. I actually like the Angels top of their top ten pretty well. I like Hank Conger. I like Peter Borders. I don't I acknowledge that those are flawed prospects. But I like those guys. I like Mike Trout. We have a question about Mike Trout. Um I like the top of the Angels farm system. My questions for them are they don't, there's not a lot of pitching depth there, especially the upper levels. Uh, they went through a lot of that last year with Sean O'Sullivan and Trevor Bell and those guys weren't very good and in triple A or They really I mean Beyond, obviously, Nick Aidenhart's death is right. much more than just on the field what it means. But it really did hurt them because they had developed a guy who, okay, he no was doubt. the guy who was supposed to fill that role. And Correct. then these other guys would have been behind him. Correct. And all of a sudden you had to speed some of those guys up a little faster than they probably were ready to. You know, Beyond the senselessness and the tragedy of it, it was it's from a baseball standpoint, it was a pretty big blow for the Angels. Just from strictly a baseball standpoint, I mean, not to mention every other way. So... Um, so, the, so their farm system has taken some hits, and they have, you know, uh, they had a lot of picks in last year's draft. They have a lot in this year's draft again coming up. But I think Peter Borges is a legitimate top of a top ten prospect. I think he's, you know, in a, in a better organization, he'd be in, in that more in that five to eight range. Because I do wonder about the offensive ceiling. It's a little bit of an unorthodox swing, a little bit of an unorthodox way of running, even. But he's got big time speed and big time defense. So at the very least, this guy's going to have, I think, a career as an extra outfielder. I really think it all hinges on how much upside there is in the bat. But I, I'm fairly bullish on him, and not just because he's half Greek and, and half Polish. Um, it's the Baseball America podcast. 
with John and JJ uh, podcast at baseballamerica.com is the email address. You can send questions for next uh, the next podcast. Uh, Aaron and I will podcast on Monday on college as we do every week. So if you have questions about that, you can send those in. Um, but going back to this week's mailbag, uh, Drew Sarver, our leadoff question, he was first in the queue, and uh, we might want to make sure we get to Drew's question. When does Justin Smoke reach the majors, JJ? And uh, I saw a Rangers game uh, on the MLB Network last week, and Chris Davis parked one about 500 feet, so he's got some pretty good competition. By the way, this is, uh, you know, we're not getting paid for this plug, but we've MLB, talked about MLB, MLB Network. Network has been, it, it's heaven as a baseball fan for spring training. No doubt about it. We've gotten to watch so many more games this year, you know, parked in an office than you ever have had a chance to before. It's just awesome. It's wonderful. I mean, it's the be- see, that's, that's a fundamental difference. JJ's our office's biggest NFL fan. There's a fundamental difference between MLB Network and NFL Network. When MLB Network shows a game, that's a great thing. Oh, more exposure for this team. They're usually showing games that you don't wouldn't otherwise see. They're especially spring training. They're picking up or they're picking up other feeds. You know, they're picking right. up minor league game feeds. Right. It's like, oh, there's a minor league game on MLB Network today. Awesome. I'll set the TiVo. Um, with NFL Network, when they have a game, it's like, ah, the game's on NFL Network. No I don't have that. It, yeah. You know, it's it's a, it's a real pain. But uh, but yeah, obviously they're apples and oranges. But uh, but but I haven't gotten to see Justin Smoke yet this well, he's, spring. He's been sent down to the uh, right. to the minor league camp now. So you won't see him in April. The the key thing I think you just hit on it. I don't think it has anything to do right now with Justin Smoke. I think Justin Smoke's going to put up numbers and going to show pretty quickly that he's probably ready to help out. But the question becomes. Chris Davis, obviously, it fell apart for him last year. Right. Two years ago, in a big way. Two years ago, everything came together for him about as well as it could. Yeah. If we see 2008 Chris Davis, you know, all of a sudden it comes down to the question of, okay, well, Smoke may be ready here, but do we have a spot for him? Right. And it's not like there's room at DH because Vladimir Guerrero right. will not pick up a glove this year. Right. So with that being the case, if you see. Chris Davis come off to a hot start, and the you know the Rangers are are, are winning. It's going to delay Smoke's arrival, you know. Or if Davis is off to a slow start, I mean, Chris Davis has to know. Right. I don't have a large margin of error here. You can't hit a buck ninety in April and think, oh, you know, they're going to give me May and June to get this sorted out. And there's no more Hank Blaylock in the way of either of those guys who had another sub three hundred on base percentage, but did hit twenty plus home right. runs. So, those. I can see why they played him some. There's not a lot of other options at I mean, first base. Maybe Max Ramirez is possibly an option right. there. I mean, well, the thing about it is it's now, I mean, it's to me it seems like it, it's Davis. I mean, they clearly made it, They when they try to trade Max Ramirez away in the offseason. Right, and they you, still might. And they're right. But, I mean, the thing with the Rangers is, is if they can be in it in June and July, there's not a team out there if they have a hole that they need to fill. I mean, because they have surpluses at positions right. where you're like, okay, you know, hey, especially, say Chris Davis is having a solid year. That's even better news for them. They could hit June, and it's like, I know first baseman don't give you a whole lot of value. But you could try to sell high on Chris but Davis. But you could sell high on Chris Davis, who's only 24. I mean, you're not talking about trading a, a 35-year-old wow. or something. You could sell high on him and say, we can trade him away and not miss a beat. We actually may be better right. with Justin Smoke coming into the lineup. And, hey, we can fill this hole if we need, you know, they're probably not going to need a starting pitcher, but say right. they did. Or, hey, you know, we have a position that we're weak at. Well, they've had a rough spring. They, they have the worst record in the American League in spring training for whatever that's worth. Uh, the other issue, I guess, for, uh, for me for Texas, I think Texas always needs pitching. <laughs> yeah. No matter what, they're always, they always seem to need pitching uh, and, and pitching depth with the heat down there. But uh, obviously they have the, other, the biggest distraction 
of any team in oh, spring yeah. training this year with the Ron Washington thing. I don't think you and I have even talked about that. We've talked about Harry Truman a lot lately, but not Ron <laughs> Washington. Um, what, what was your thought on the Ron Washington deal? I, it's one of those things that I, I think for managers, <laughs> the worst thing that can happen as a manager is don't be a distraction. Right. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say that, but it really is the case that not that managers don't have an important job, but uh, we have seen that, you know, you know, you don't say, okay, we're going to remake the roster over a year and right. see that work. But we have seen many teams, you know, we've seen the Rockies a couple of yeah. times now where, hey, this isn't working, we're going to change managers, and all of a sudden, you know, it seems like all that works. Right. As a manager, the worst thing you want to avoid is, is you know, just don't be a distraction because, you know, the, get, the story should not be about you very yeah. often. Yeah. And obviously this isn't something where, you know, Ron Washington wanted to be this to be a distraction. And, I mean, they're, they're talking that it even was a possible blackmail situation if he hadn't, you know, come out with it. Right, right. I mean, which is kind of crazy. But, that is crazy. But more than, story all the, way more than the, yeah, more than the, the mistake, you know, it really comes down to you already are in a situation where, as a manager, I mean, no, man, very few managers have uh, a long, you know, a long rope, now, a long right. leash. I mean, it's something where if you get off to a slow start, you know, Bobby Cox can get off to a slow start, and right. at this point, it's not going to matter. Right. You know, I, 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 at this point, I guess you could say, you know, probably, I mean, Lou Pinnell is a little safer than most managers in the situation he's coming into this year with the, you know, with the Cubs. New ownership too, but there's still there's there's a handful of guys that have a. Uh, a long leash, and uh, and Ron I would Washington say Ron Washington not, not in one that of group, them. right? And, and so, they got a lot shorter this spring, right? So basically, what this means is is that you're looking at a situation where the Rangers, if they get off to a slow start, and they're looking, saying, "Hey, what do we need to do to shake this up?" Well, this is probably not going to help Ron Washington as far as you know. Hey, you know, no, stick with me. It's a really strange organization for me because there's they've done so many things right as far as improving their big league club, improving their minor league talent, and yet they're broke. <laughs> yeah, they, they're going through this ownership change. Well, they, they were broke. They're they're now that, that sale hasn't gone through till what August. And so there's some there's some steps they're still right. going through. Obviously, the it's Greenberg not fully, group, yeah, it's not finalized right. yet by any means. But I mean, but, uh, it, you know, they're they're obviously they've always been the, the Cowboys are always going to be king. But the Mavericks have been so good for so long under uh, Mark Cuban, and the Rangers haven't been relevant for a decade, really, outside of uh, the one year with Buck Showalter where they won 80-some games. So I think that John Daniels has done some great things there, and they have a oh, burgeoning the organization. Really, you know, yeah, but it could all fall apart if the ownership deal doesn't go well, and then you have this. I mean, you have your managers doing this. I, there's a lot of volatility in that situation. And the, the one thing about it is it strains credulity that a guy in his mid-50s is going to use for the first time. Right. And that's the only part of the story that really bothers me. And what that makes me think is that there's going to be continued journalistic investigations into whether or not he used before. And if it comes out that he did use before from a former teammate or some such, I mean, what does that do to the guy? I, I, I wonder about that. I think it's good the organization stood by him, but that's I don't think that situation's over. I guess well, the other question I'll ask what that is is, do you think that being in the AL West is that, you know, does that make life easier or harder for the Rangers? Because it seems like it's a division where there's the Angels have been clearly the class of the division. Right. I, I don't think you know you could probably say the Angels may have taken a you know a, a step back. I don't think they had a great off season. But the, at the same time, it's hard to it's hard to look at that division and say that you know 
you could map out a, a, a scenario of success for everyone in the division. I still like the Angels to win that division. Ken Rosenthal at FoxSports.com had a great article the other day about why he thinks the Mariners are not going to be as good as everyone thought this well, year. Cliff Lee Cliff right Lee, now is not. Cliff Lee's oblique. He might start the year on the disabled list. I really think the thing is that the, the – uh, when you have your general manager talking in spring training about, hey, have you got a four-hole hitter? That's a pretty big hole to have. And, and that's not what you feel very easily. And well, the thing is, they could have with Russ Brannion last year. They did feel it easier, easily last year, but they're not going to be able to do that this year. They're looking at, like, Casey Koshman and Felipe Lopez as their three four-hitters with Milton Bradley in the five-hole. I mean, this is – that's ugly. That's not a championship. When we talk about, like, when we talk about the Braves lineup, I mean, yeah. that, those guys with that – Six, seven, eight in the Braves That's right. Lineup. That's right. So, and they're in the American League. So I don't care how good their defense is. They're going to have to score some runs, and it's not all going to happen. You know, Ichiro and, and Sean Figgins aren't going to steal their way all the way around the bases every time. So, it's. I, I think the Seattle's. I, I agree with Ken Rosenthal's article that they're not going to be as good as everyone thought, even though they ha- did have a very productive off season. And then you know the Rangers, I think, had some real uncertainty until they do it. I'm, I'm, I'm a right. doubter you, you on, the, say, on the Rangers. You could be a doubter because of that. I will say, and Oakland can't. But you. But as far as the Rangers, if you pick the team out there, you know who should challenge them. You look at the Rangers and you say, "No, I could map out a scenario here where they could be pretty good." You can. I think that I I do think that uh, their chances are better than Seattle's, especially if Lee's not healthy. If Lee's healthy, and that that changes things. I mean, because the pitching and have, defense part of that equation are going to be know that at two out of every five days. You're going to be very competitive. You know, and it does not matter if you're getting two to three runs. I That's mean, right. Really competitive. That's right. JJ, which of our last questions do you want to take as we wrap up the podcast? Uh, Justin Miller, who wants us to talk in depth about Mike Trout, or Ryan Lewis, is Thomas Neal real? Let's, let's, let's take them both. Let's, yeah, like, well, we talked about Trout a little bit. That's I mean, right. The, 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 I don't the, think Trout's a 30-30 guy like Justin Miller has. His power is way down the road. Don't be too deceived by Arizona League numbers. Right, Arizona League is... But we love the guy's speed, hitting ability, approach to the game. Uh, and, the, and he's a tooled-up guy. He's, he's right, he's a fast-twitch athlete, so... Uh, there's a lot to like about Mike Trapp, but let's not get ahead of ourselves on the projection. Right. I mean, let's put it this way. He could put up numbers that are that seem to be half of what he did there, you know, if yeah. he goes to the Midwest League, and that could be a very good season. Right, and scouts were comparing him to, like, a quicker, a faster Aaron Rowan, but Aaron Rowan's not a 30 guy, not a 30 home run guy. So I don't. I think you're getting ahead of yourself on the power. But Thomas Neal is a power guy, back end of the top 100 guy, snuck in there. Um, I'm, one of the things that was another guy that I was wondering when we got done with our top 100, wow, is Thomas Neal really a top 100 guy, or am I ranking him that high? Because I like, I think the Giants have a good farm system, and he's the number four prospect, and yada yada. And yada. because you know, it's always he tough. had a big Cal league year. It's but always it's a tough. League. It's always tough when you have a Cal league guy. It's like okay, especially when you know you have a guy who's who's coming from a little bit. You know, I, I've got a question. I think on a chat this off season that said. Thomas Neal, John Gaston. Why is it that you guys seem higher on Neal than Gaston when they both put up big numbers in the Cal League? Right. And I think the you know the the reason for that is is that Neal has come less out of nowhere. Right. He had a nice year. He in had the a Sally nice year in the, the Sally League. And there's a little bit more tools maybe there than there he's, is in Gaston's case. The scouting report that he's more athletic, even though he's, they're both left fielders. They're both going to be somewhat limited defensively. Something like Thomas Neal is a little bit better athlete than John Gaston. Less of a stiff, there's less stiffness in his actions. Um, but also John Gaston played at Lancaster or the High Desert, whichever one it was. I guess it was Lancaster. Yeah. I mean, I just think you just throw those stats out the window. I mean, I, I can't even take them seriously. I mean, I really have to see what John Gasson does in Double A. So, and, and John Gasson, you know what? We do have a long track record on John Gasson 
No offense to John Gaston, he has a long track record of mediocrity at the University of Arizona. He was just an okay player. And I know that's the Pac-10, the Pac-10's a good league and all, but he didn't really hit at Arizona. I mean, he's like a 300 hitter for three years in college and about 10 home runs and 15 home runs here or there. And he struck out a lot. And he did basically the same thing, but he hit, got a lot of balls up into the jet stream in Lancaster. So it would be great for John Gaston to prove me wrong. I don't have a lot of faith in his future. I, I have a little bit more in, in Neil. Uh, just that he's done it two years in a row. It was a monster year in the Cal League, but it's it's a natural progression of what he did in the Cal League where he did show power. I think he has more legitimate power and legitimate hitting tools. But his best tool is the bat, but it, but he is on our top 100, and Ben Revere was not. Part of me thinks maybe Ben Revere should have been on over John, Thomas Neal. Talk about two, uh, two very different guys. They're probably both left fielders, though, is the thing. Although I think you could play center field with a 20-arm. Like Revere, all the twins are saying it's a thirty arm. Guys outside the organization say, "Ah, it's twenty five if it's if it's not a 20. So it's ugly. Uh, it's not good. That's, it's not Johnny Damon, but it's not much better. Um, so. But the thing just struck me. Uh, probably a good way to wrap it up. The cool thing about this is is that we're you know we're recording this on on March twenty fifth, sixth six today. Two weeks from now, we start being able to say you know, hey, well he's showing it in double A. That's right. He's showing you know. Well, a week from today, I think, is uh, Tampa Bay comes to town. Tampa Bay Rays at Durham Bulls. So, so we'll I mean, we're, not, for that. You know, we're not far from the start of the season, which is, I mean, the, the best way to put it is, is the great thing about Baseball America is, you know, we get we essentially get three Christmases That's in right. spring. That's we have right. the start of the college season, we have the start of the uh, major league season, and we have the start of the minor league season. And don't forget the day the handbooks get here. Yeah, that's, that's like Christmas. That's, that's yeah. like Christmas too. So, and this year, JJ, uh, for the first time, you can when a Baseball America staff member goes to a baseball game, you'll be able to basically hear, see, read what our thoughts are basically at these games. Uh, all of us are going to be tweeting during the year, so. You've been on Twitter for a while. What's your Twitter account? My Twitter is JJCoop36, I think. JJCoop36? I've got to get back into tweeting more. But Mine's just j- at John Manuel BA. So, yep. uh, Ben Babbler's been on Twitter for a while. Will Lingo. Aaron but all Fitt of us, Aaron Fitz, if you're so if you're Connor Glassy's been. Connor Glassy's the original BA Twitter. It might, you know, it actually, might have been uh, Ben. Ben might have been Connor the was the one who set up the, oh, uh, set up baseball, the baseball America. Yeah. So, you can follow Baseball America on Twitter. But soon all of our thoughts, also, uh, others of us are at games or watching game on TV or whatever. We'll be tweeting some of that as well, both on our own individual Twitter pages and at Baseball America's Twitter page. So um, more ways to enjoy Baseball America during the 2010 season. So, And, again, for next week's podcast, feel free to send those in to us. You can check on the Facebook page or you can email us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. We also want to remind you that when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game, introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. Get the season started right. Visit your nearest Demo House today. Locations and full details can be found at DeMarini.com backslash Demo House. DeMarini.com backslash Demo House. My voice ran out of air there (laughs) at the end of that spot. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on Monday on the College Podcast here at BaseballAmerica.com. So long, everybody.